Good morning. It's usually during the 40 days of the Lenten season that I get at least a few questions about something most people know simply as confession. Nine times out of ten, the questions come from someone in the church who grew up or spent most of their faith life in a Roman Catholic church. But sometimes the question can come from someone who's been in the Episcopal church for many years and never knew about this opportunity. And occasionally it comes from someone who's very new, who comes from a faith tradition where the option of confession was never made available. The conversation almost always begins with the same opening question. Father Donovan, does the Episcopal Church do confession? Now, being the specific style of Episcopal priest I try to be, I always immediately respond with a loud and affirmative, yes, the Episcopal Church does do confession. If I happen to say that loud enough, there'll always be someone else who's nearby who will throw in another question. They'll say, but Father Donovan, don't we say our confession every single Sunday during the church service right after the peace? Again, I'm always impressed that they've thought about this and they can answer it quickly. So I reply with another affirmative yes, pointing out that we do, in fact, offer a confession almost every Sunday except the seasons of Christmas and Easter. But I have to add that that particular confession is known as a general confession offered as the body of the church gathered together within the church. It is not meant to be exactly the same as a personal individual confession privately offered with a priest. All of my answers generally do little more than confuse everyone. But as hard as it is to wrap our minds around it, it's the truth. Our church does offer the sacrament of confession, or as it is entitled on page 447 of the Book of Common Prayer, the reconciliation of a penitent. And there is meant to be within it there a personal one-on-one confession with a member of the clergy. That sacrament can certainly be combined with the general confession of sin. We all do together as a church here for worship every Sunday. But the general confession is meant to be a way of confessing our sins together with everyone else in the church that we all seem to fall victim to on our daily lives. In addition to these general sins, there are always, as we all know, certain more personal sins for which we may require something beyond the Sunday morning confession to help us personally put that sinful action behind us, something we can do individually, allowing us to say it outright, to admit to it, and then have a real person present to help us deal with it and find a way to accept God's promised forgiveness. That is what the reconciliation of a penitent, or as most people call it, confession is all about, and it is a sacrament that is open to any of us anytime we need it in the church. When I talk about all of this with our youth who are going through confirmation, which I do every year, and with adults who ask me about it on a Sunday in Lent, I give them the same way of considering it in their own personal relationship with God if they want to decide to do this. Most of you have heard me say this yourselves many, many times in the past, so I apologize for saying it again. But the general rule for confession in the Episcopal Church is that all of us can Some of us maybe should, but none of us must. That last offering that none of us must 
comes from our more Protestant side of the Christian faith. As I remember growing up in the Baptist church, just a little talk with Jesus will make just about everything right. And that's true. So if you can lay it all before the Lord on your own and accept the forgiveness that's promised to you, then you're covered. But a more personal offering of penance is absolutely available to all who need it. And there are just some of us who need a living, breathing servant of God, whether a priest or a saint or just a good therapist, to look us in the eye and tell us in all certainty that we have been forgiven and we must move on. The sacramental rite of reconciliation in the prayer book is there for the church to offer that freely and as needed. Now, it won't surprise any of you to hear that it is that last recommendation I mentioned, none must, that is the majority of what we as Episcopalians tend to do when it comes to confession. We clergy rarely get asked to hear a confession even after someone inquires about it, but it does happen occasionally. Certainly more times than we get asked to do an exorcism, I can promise you that. In my 15 years as a priest, I have personally heard a handful of confessions. And though the specifics of any confession can never be revealed by someone's confessor, as I know all of you know from watching those crime movies or television shows, I can tell you that every time someone has asked me to hear their confession, I have almost always been surprised at how minimal the sins they want to confess seem to be to me when I hear them. Thanks be to God, I have never yet been told in confession about some serious dastardly deed committed or an atrocious criminal action performed by anyone. And I really am thankful for that. Each and every time the sins people need most to get off their chest, out of their minds, and quite literally off their back would be considered by any ethicist, therapist, or confessor alike as a very minor offense. Still, at the end of the day, no matter how tiny and minuscule the sins confessed may seem to me as the hearer, they are certainly something weighing heavily upon the person who is carrying them. And that person honestly needs to hear someone tell them that God has received their penance, not to judge or to shame or to pass sentence, but to fully absolve them and forgive them and set them free once and for all from that which binds and afflicts them. The final words I speak as a priest in form one of the sacrament are perhaps the three sentences which I believe all of us, including myself, need to hear more often than we probably want to admit. The prayer book tells me to say to that person who's confessed, now there is rejoicing in heaven for you were lost and now are found. You were dead and are now alive in Christ Jesus our Lord. Go in peace. The Lord has put away your sins. All of us always have the option to hear those important words ourselves spoken by a priest to us, but we are not obligated to ever need to do so. The choice to make a confession is totally up to you and to me and how we feel about our sinfulness. And perhaps that's the most tricky part of the whole process, if we're honest, because most of us think that those crime shows and movies are the only real place where confessions need to take place. One must commit a pretty terrible sin to really need to sit down with the priest. Those who make a confession 
are those people who tend to be on a whole nother level of bad behavior. And most of us know who those people are, and we know that, thanks be to God, it ain't us. But the hard part, brothers and sisters, this morning in particular, is that Jesus never seems to fully accept that approach. In the Gospel of Luke this morning, we find Jesus sitting with a group of his closest kinsmen, their fellow Galileans from the Galilean area. And they seem to be giving Jesus the latest terrible news coming out of the holy city of Jerusalem. Maybe they're telling him this because they know where he's headed. He and his apostles are on their way to Jerusalem right then and there. In Jerusalem, they tell him, Pilate, the Roman prefect of Judea, who we'll hear a lot more about in a couple of weeks, has just murdered a group of Galilean pilgrims as they were gathering to make their Jewish sacrifices in the holy temple of Jerusalem. The blood of those Galileans, we are told, has suddenly been mixed with the blood of the lambs for sacrifice right there in God's temple. Certainly this was a horrible abomination perpetrated by the Roman invaders and their army. And for God to have allowed something like this to ever happen to those Galileans gathered in the temple, there must have been sin present all over the place and in all sides. What could those Galileans who died have done to deserve such a terrible fate? What kind of sins must they themselves have committed for God to ever allow an atrocious act such as this one to be committed right in God's own house? But Jesus hears the news, and regardless of these hard questions, he refuses to let those sitting at his very own feet see themselves as in some way higher standing before God because this has not happened to them. Jesus says, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Salome fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. Unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Now, this is one of those hard responses that Jesus never seems to be afraid of throwing out to us or even to the midst of those who are following him. The kingdom of God has come near. God's love is all around us. We are his children. We are called to be his disciples. But the hard work of discipleship applies to everyone equally. And part of that requirement is that we must repent or else we will have our own membership taken from us. Jesus finishes this morning with a parable about a fig tree that's been planted in a vineyard. The twist of the parable is that this is a fig tree planted amongst a garden of beautiful grapevines. It is obviously special because it is out of place in that particular garden. But special or not, there are expectations for it to keep its place in the vineyard. The vineyard owner, Jesus says, feels that this special fig tree should be cut down because for three years, the owner has been looking for it to produce a good lot of figs. And for three years, the tree has not accomplished that. 
It is the gardener who wants the owner to give it one more chance to serve its real purpose, which is not to be better or more special than the grapevine, but to start producing its own fruit to show the owner that it too is worthy of its place in the soil. All of us need to hear Jesus' words as the Galileans and the apostles were meant to hear and understand them 2,000 years ago. We ourselves are like the fig tree and we are only growing in this holy soil because Jesus Christ is that gardener working for us and giving us that which we need to grow. We too are here amidst the grapevines of God's vineyard. But brothers and sisters, just being in the vineyard is not enough. We too have our own part to play. We have our own work we must do. We have to repent and get ourselves turned around and get our souls back into shape so that we too can bear our own fruit. The Apostle Paul writes in the first letter to Corinth this morning, the church in Corinth, Paul writes, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all of them drank the same spiritual drink. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most, most of them and they were struck down in the wilderness. These things happened to them to serve as an example. And they were written down to instruct us. So if you think you are standing, watch out that you do not fall. All of us here today are standing. There's no question about that, at least not for me, as I look out over this church. None of us, thanks be to God, have to worry like those Galileans or the Jews of Jesus' time. We're all already well-rooted in the garden, and we know our gardener who is tending us. The question before each of us is simply this. Do we feel like we've all done what we need to do standing in this vineyard, sitting in these pews, wearing the cross around our neck and telling each other that we're followers of Jesus? Is this all that's required for us to be true disciples? Is there maybe something that is riding on our backs this morning, hanging around our necks, causing us to stumble from time to time? Is there a hatchet that we're almost sure we buried long ago, but every now and then we find ourselves tripping and nearly falling because somehow we left that handle sticking up out of the ground? These 40 days open for us all the free opportunity to take some time and look into our heart, to take a deep breath and to remove from our hearts anything that's been weighing our hearts down for way too long to get ourselves and our souls back to the freedom and transformation that can only come in the resurrection that is given to us by Jesus Christ. I think it's time to realign our thoughts and feelings in this old church with the words of Jesus Christ in Holy Scripture re concerning repentance and reconciliation. Perhaps we need to think about it this way. All of us can, all of us should, and all of us must. Whether you go have a little talk with Jesus at home and lay it all before him, or whether you need to sit down with a priest, we must repent, restore ourselves to Jesus, get ourselves back on the path, or else we face the possibility of perishing. However we choose to do it, let us do in this time what God asks us to do.
Amen.